Feel This with Frank and Jess. Welcome to Feel This, a series of experiential conversations between me, Jessica Olber-Singleton, and Frank D'Amato, where we explore trauma, healing, and awakening through the lens of relationship. Well, hello. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Jess. Hi, Frank. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to our podcast, where we explore what's coming up inside us we look at emotions and trauma and healing. We do it all through the lens of now, of what's coming up in the now as Jess and I, you and I connect to each other. So let's dive in. Let's do it. Yeah, we always start our podcast. If this is new to you, we always start with a little grounding presence, guided meditation so welcome. You can do this with that, whatever you're doing. If you're walking or driving a car or gardening, you can just bring a little bit of presence to the present moment through the senses. We always start bringing awareness to our breath in the moment. Not needing to alter your breath or control it just noticing its own natural rhythm here in this moment. And you may find that a neat thing happens, which is simply by bringing awareness to the breath as it is. It slowly starts to find a deeper rhythm on its own. You don't really have to make yourself smooth out your breath. Just bringing awareness to the breath as it is. It's a neat, perfect little metaphor or model for how awareness can guide the regulation in our life just by bringing awareness to where we are in the moment tends to have a regulating effect. I'm going to bring that awareness into the heart region. Just starting to feel into your physical heart. Seeing if you can begin to notice your own heartbeat, if you can feel that. It's another good little practice because you have to settle down just a little bit. You have to slow down. You have to have a little bit of quiet in the mind to really allow the subtle sensation of feeling your heartbeat in your chest to, to come through. 
once you do start to sense it, you could even play with letting that sensation become a little bit more full and developed. And as you bring more awareness to it and kind of sit with your heartbeat, you can even start to feel into it a little bit more. You can feel more detail in the sense of sensation of the heartbeat itself. I'm going to drop down a little bit deeper in the body. We're going to go down to the belly. So allowing your awareness to drop down. Again, a nice little practice here. Rather than you're looking down at your heart or your stomach from behind your eyes, which is still egocentric identity, we're really practicing dropping awareness down, letting the center of our being be the heart or be the belly. really allowing that source of identity to be inside the body. And this is a practice that seems completely theoretical to you. That's fine. Sometimes you have to sit with it in a theoretical box before the experience of it breaks through. And you may also have glimpses of it where for a moment you feel like you were existing in your heart or your belly, and then you sh shoot back up to your mind. That was an interesting experience, you think. <laughs> that was a moment of, and you think that, and then you just kind of sit and let that awareness drop down once again. Mind does not think that it's okay that you can live from your body, that you could live from your heart or your belly. The mind is trained to think. It must be in charge and control things. It's what it's used to. As we practice this embodied living more, it is such a relief to so many parts of our rational brain to not have to always be in control. To learn that we can trust the heart-mind. You can trust the gut intelligence, gut wisdom. So I think we'll just stop right there. It's pretty, pretty full. I often kind of branch into exploring some aspects of our psyche, but that felt really full. I thought we could maybe do that verbally, Jess, and just see what comes up here. Yeah. I want to make a, a clear statement to the audience, to the listener, that you and I did not talk before we sat down to do this. And the reason I want to say that is because your meditation was so in line with what I'm bringing in today. Since our last podcast, I've been, I was really thrown off, not me, self but apart was really thrown off by you coming into the podcast space, not having done the assignment we gave ourselves <laughs> and how much that has continued to annoy this. Part. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And so this morning, I just felt so irritable and critical, not of you, but of the podcast, of myself. So much criticism was coming up. And finally, with some of my tools, and I started to be with that part, mm. which is a way that I can think of to unblend. And I was feeding back to that part what I was hearing from it. And finally, as we got unblended, this part said, I don't want to make the podcast. I don't want to make the podcast. I don't want to over and over. I don't want to make the podcast. And what I knew when I heard that was that this part has been making the podcast. This part that is, and as we continued to chat, it said, I'm tired of trying to make a good podcast and this trying and good. There's just so much effortfulness in it. And when I got a little bit of space to be with that part, I got actually pretty excited to make the podcast because <laughs> I was like, this is really, it's so fundamentally different to come in and say what I just said than to come in and be unconsciously blended with that part. So that's what I'm arriving in. And your meditation, it was like, I I was doing the meditation and I was really feeling what for me is a fairly new, not completely new practice of be the heart, be the belly. Be the heart is not that new, but be the belly is a little newer. And this part that I'm coming in with, but not from, said, the belly can't make the podcast. The heart can't make the podcast. The brain has to make the podcast. And of course, what I know to be true is that when I am more connected and more in, more connected to self, more in self, more from self, that the brain is a tool and sort of a co-pilot energetically to the heart and to the knowing. And so the other thing that happened physically during the meditation is that I've noticed the last couple of times we've made a podcast, how much I sit forward in my chair. And this time I asked myself, what would it be like to really sit into the back of the chair, to keep coming back to feeling physically more relaxed, less trying to make a good podcast. So it was a really rich meditation. I'll pause there. Well, yeah, there's a lot. Let me see if I can. And always the issue is like, you say something and I'm like, oh, I should check in. There's, my check-in just goes, forget it. I'm just so excited by what you shared. And I have so many branches off. And the stuff I was bringing in, I had a lot of parts that were like, oh, I don't want to bring that stuff in. And so there's other parts that are like, oh, great. I'm so grounded and present and you're bringing stuff. And I don't even have to go anywhere near any of that. But I will follow the aliveness here, which does feel like responding to you and maybe will double back to my check-in. So what, yeah, my immediate response was one of, it just feels really a lot of joy at you coming in and having the unblending experience of, of separating from that mode of mind that's like, I've got to make a good podcast and I've got to try. It felt so crystal clear and I felt immediately so much value for the listener 
oh, this is, that was the first thing I jumped into, like being in the listener's shoes. What I got was like, listen to these two people. <laughs> so I'm, I guess, hearing ourselves from the outside, right? I'm like, listen to these two people. They just, they're talking about our relationships. So meaning something from happened from last time in the podcast. So it's like a continuation. But then it's also this learning and growing and revealing of, of the unconscious drivers that are happening, right? The parts of you that are driving the Jess in the podcast sheet for this example. And then it was also immediately, wow, this is so universal, right? I don't think anyone out here, I'm guessing everyone can identify with having a drive and being immersed in a consciousness of, I've got to try really hard to do something really good and how much stress and pressure, would that be at your job, whatever your job is? To be like, I really want to do, be excellent at what I do. And that pressure that we could start to manifest inside ourselves, the parts do that of trying really. And it's driven on a sense of dissatisfaction with where we are. Essentially, I, I can't just show up because that's not good enough. That's the underlying lie, <laughs> a mistruth, error, that somehow the status quo, the who I am, what I am, as I am, it's not quite good enough. I've got to try harder. And there's another part that wants to hedge here and say, there's nothing wrong with striving for some kind of excellence. And there isn't, of course, when we want to grow. So <laughs> that's part of the magic of the path is how do we hold both of these? How do I hold? I want to be content in the moment, right? This kind of yin energy of it's all who I am and how I am. I can show up. And then there's this also, and what can I bring to this moment? but not from a burden place, from a joyful place, when I can be in that space and then move towards excellence or shifting, taking in feedback and changing. So it's changing in the moment. So I'm riffing on some of these ideas here, but I felt really good just around your awareness. And I could feel your joy in the unblending that you got the... I kind of want to stop using that phrase so much because it's such a jargon term. And uh, people who are in the IS, internal family systems realm are quite familiar with it. But if you're not, uh, I wonder if there's another way we can describe that. I'll just think of that. But that's okay for now. I also have, there's a joy at when you speak for you had the part that was really annoyed with me because I didn't do the homework last time. <laughs> My authentic response is laughter and joy. And I was sitting with that. I was aware like that feels good to me. And I was sitting with, the, okay, what, what feels good about that? And part of what feels good about that is this. Oh, I don't, I don't know why this popped in my head, but back in the eighties, in New York, John Gotti was a big deal at the time and he was kept getting arrested and getting acquitted. And so they called him the Teflon Don, like nothing stuck to him. And that was the phrase. So the phrase, the Teflon, I feel like Teflon, when I'm in a place where not, things aren't sticking, like you say that, and I don't have any parts that are reacting in any way. It just doesn't stick to me. And granted, a big part of that is the, what we call, a higher self energy that you spoke from that with, right? When you said it, you weren't speaking from the annoyed. You were already speaking from the annoyed already 
came and passed or it's not really strong or active. So you were speaking from a, a energy in you that was very joined with me that is not annoyed with me. And you were speaking for this other energy of annoyance. So to say, just to say that it's easier to take it from that space. Nevertheless, all of those ranges, when I have something that may have in the past stuck to me, meaning caused a reaction in me that brought up at the deepest level, some shame, but on the surface level, maybe annoyance back or defensiveness or evasiveness, all the common psychological defense modes that we can go into. When that doesn't happen, where it happened, might have happened in the past, it's like, ooh, it's this little, it's a feeling of freedom and playfulness. Oh, I get to play here and you're being playful and I can be playful back. And we can both have a laugh at the humanness of being like, I didn't do the homework. <laughs> what a jerk. I'm over here trying to be so good. And what is he doing? Ruining it for me. <laughs> He's just, just ruining it for me by just doing, just being himself. And because he didn't feel like doing the homework, he didn't feel like it. <laughs> totally. It's exactly. <laughs> oh. Oh my um, gosh, so yes. Yeah, a lot of joy at that. So yeah, how's that? So modeling. I'm feeling complete having said what I said. And I'm just asking you how that landed on you in the now. That's a way of tossing the ball back. Yeah. Yeah. That felt joyful. And it felt, especially toward the end, I, I can feel how good it felt. How but the image that came to my mind is if you're bouncing on a trampoline, which was, you said the it bounces off of them. So I think that image popped in and someone comes and starts bouncing with you. And if they bounce right, at the right moment, they bounce you even higher. And just the sort of fun and silliness and play of it. I felt that earlier when you were speaking more to how a listener might hear this, there were so many ideas that felt really interesting. The sort of some part of me wanted to explore and unpack both maybe personally, because that's often how we approach, but the general, our perspective on what happens when we stop trying, like how the pendulum might swing. And suddenly if you're not, if you've been trying your whole life and you stop trying, it might feel like you're not doing anything. So that sort of like, what is it to come back into balance? It's not to do the opposite of trying. And you said that you said something about like the want to can't remember. You had a really good word. Like you're not striving, but you're working to hone your craft or become better at something to grow and learn where, what was going on in my head as you were talking from more of a heartfelt space. And then my mind related that to like capitalism and to the great resignation right? That all these people all over the place are quitting jobs they don't like. I'm done trying. So I just felt the, the timeliness of that as a subject and felt very curious about it. In more personal terms around the subject of being aware that I wanted to bring to this space, my awareness of being that I had a part that was annoyed <laughs> with your not cooperating with what we had decided 
I'm aware that if I hadn't unblended, I don't think I would have been able to say that, that I come here without having been unblended. Would I have been able to speak to that? Would I have been comfortable speaking to that? Would it have come out indirectly? Because it would have been here even if it hadn't been spoken for. So I got part of me is really curious about that thread, but I can also feel that related to that is a little bit of the try harder part. That's if I could figure this out, I could be sure not to do it next time a little bit. And then as I see that, I wonder about the podcast space and our third party, which is the listener. And this curiosity of in the thing we're talking about here, which is, there's a number of things we're talking about. We're talking about trying harder, those parts. We're talking about what happens when we unblend from them. We're talking about you know, potentially what this looks like societally and more universally, as well as in our relationship. And there's so many options. And I guess this is my head looking at all of them and asking like, what would serve this space to go into? I don't know because of the trying part, the one that wants to make an effort to make a good podcast. Sometimes it comes forward without me being conscious of it and wants to direct rather than my heart, going back to the meditation, rather than my heart knowing what the authentic want in me is around what direction to follow. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great little moment, right? Because yeah, I feel, first of all, let's make transparent what I'm feeling in the moment, excited because something went off in my pattern recognition mind, rational mind, and it like, ooh, I saw a pattern there that I recognized. And it's very kind of archetypal, big, it's important. So that triggered excitement. The pattern that I recognized was around the word choice. And so much in my work, one, if we can get into a philosophical discussion about choice, it'd be incredibly fascinating anyway, because do we have choice or not? Is there free will? Is there free choice? Well, we'll put that, that's, so that's a big, fun question, right? That's enormously worth diving into. However, let's, we're just going to put that on the side and just say, let's just say that we do have choice. Let's just say, for example, if we did, big <laughs> that we have some free will choice. What does it mean to have a choice? What is the experience of choosing like? And the reason why this is such a important thing, because if any, if at any moment in my work, when people have a quote unquote problem, it could almost always break down to they're having a problem with a choice that they're needing to make, that the environment is calling them to make. And there's a confusion about how they're going about making the choice, right? And so in many respects, what I'm doing, if it's not always explicit, but implicitly what's happening is I'm helping people with how they make decisions in life, getting to a place of, do I go left or do I go right? I don't know. Do I stay or do I go? Do I, which one of these five items on this page do I go towards? How do I choose that? And then all the, everything that you're processing now is all part of, but how do I make this choice? How is that thing of choice happening here? And what parts get brought up in that and what self-doubt or concerns or fears. And when our decision-making process slows down to the point where we're constantly interrupting ourselves, we don't experience flow. 
and then we could experience this is a we can be in depression and we can do the, a lot of times if we look at it it's because we're unable to make certain choices to the system is going i can't go left i can't go so i'm just not going to do anything and go to a freeze and so in a lot of ways that's what's happening so the idea of here's a choice and let's just look at what's happening inside right when we're looking at these choices what is it that right now your system is in a little saying i don't know i'm a little I'm not really 100% sure about my own meta process of how I make these choices. You're saying, I know there's a rational part of my brain that's trying really hard and is looking at this piece of paper with these options and it's trying to make this decision from that place. And some other mind in you, a, a slightly wiser mind with a little bit more perspective is saying, yeah, I don't endorse that. I, I don't know what to do if not this, but not this. I don't want to make this choice from... I'm trying to do, be better because I, I know that doesn't lead me to anywhere good. That kind of leads me into this mouse on the hamster on the wheel that doesn't really get me anywhere. If not that, then what? And so there's a little pause moment happening inside you. Now, that's how I'm perceiving this moment in this pattern. I want to check that out with you. You're nodding a lot. The listener can't see that, but I'm going to give you some space to kind of where does it align? Where does it not? any reflections on that and also feelings feelings first i feel happy i feel excited i feel curious the thoughts that go with that relating to your little aside of the importance of the question of choice do we have free choice like you just took a few moments as you set it aside and you stated how big and important and valuable a question that is that maybe we get into later. And I just really appreciated that. It was almost like as you were picking the item up and moving it out of the frame of vision, I felt you naming the value of it. it I don't know, it resonated in my system. And I thought, I want to know more about that. And I want to know more about what that means to Frank. And I hope we get into that discussion at some point. And it also felt different than how I might have set something aside. If I'm setting it aside, it must not be very important. So you just, you set it aside, but you said it was important. That felt really good. As you were stating this sort of archetypal conundrum, being a human, having choice, how we relate to it, how we approach it, the trouble it can cause in getting stuck when we don't have flow. And as you were saying all of that, I was feeling a connection to the meditation at the beginning. And what does it look like from the heart? It just looks totally different than from the mind, the point of choice. Or what does it look like when I have access to compassion? When there isn't a right or wrong choice, when there isn't choice is synonymous with dualism. And yet... We can approach it in a non-dual way, and that changes everything. And I felt like right now, as I'm saying it, it feels important for my mind to get that. And my mind is getting it, and there's a happiness in the mind area for understanding it. And from a feeling state, it's so interesting right now in my life as I I feel myself learning more about coming down into the heart space rather than looking at things from my mind from judgment. 
So as I drop down, there's a feeling of disorientation because I'm so used to being in my mind and the feeling, if even if it's, if, even if it's a false feeling, a feeling of control, right? So there's a little feeling of falling and the fool in the tarot, the, mm -hmm. which everything, everything is the fool all the time, period, the end. But we like to tell ourselves that we're not just falling. We're not always just jumping off into the next moment. So that's what I got. In, in the we space, it feels, feels really good. Like the first moment you described how I like took that thing and put it aside, but with care and named it and put, I could really see myself through your eyes in that moment. Because I said, when I was doing that, I wouldn't say I was unconscious, but I, yeah, I was much more conscious of the thing I was holding in my hand, this idea of free will and choice and the, do we have it or do we not? And that's what I was conscious of. I was not conscious of me doing that. That was just conscious of the thing I was the object in my hand, if I'm looking at free will and, and putting it on the shelf, that's what I was conscious of. And then when you spoke to it and how that was for you to see it, I, I then I can make myself the it, the focus of, oh, this person who I'm seeing now through your eyes. So I'm having a little space of it's, yeah, some part of me is going, yeah, that's me. I know you're talking about quote unquote me, but in that moment, I'm actually perceiving this third entity. It's not the me that I normally experience from inside myself, that me, that's me sitting in my shoes. That Now this is a different me. This is a me that's outside of me that I can see through your eyes. Like, who is that guy that she's talking about? And I go, oh, that's me. <laughs> and when we get a reflection like that and the reflection matches something that feels true inside us and feels good, while you were saying it, it felt good. It felt true. And it felt also a little bit beyond my self-conception, a little bit like a little new, a little, oh, that's something I did in that moment. I don't really have a box for, I wouldn't say, oh yeah, I know I do things like that or something. It just felt something new or fresh about it that also expanded my sense of self-awareness. It's, oh, that's, oh, that's something about me. It opened up something to me. So all of that experience that I'm describing, I would put in the category of feeling seen, which is if you're in the healing space or you're any, even if you're in the relationship, right? Like this feeling seen, feeling understood, feeling seen, feeling gotten, feeling, ref getting reflected by the other person, you'll know is such an important thing. It's a very life affirming, affirming experience it's maybe one of the more key important spiritual relational experiences that we could have so to say feeling seen is a it's a really important moment to take so that was that moment and it felt really powerful now that's in the we space and that feels really good and i'd love to hear how that feels to you i want to name there was some it content that felt also really cool and important so when you were talking about the fool and the free falling versus the control and you were describing your experience and one, once again, I had this really cool experience of 
seeing myself, but through your kind of metaphor, where you were providing this metaphor of the fool and the free falling and the control, and I got to see myself. One, I saw you feeling uneasy in the not trying. The not trying is for you a little bit. Of, I'm sorry. The not trying for you is a little bit of the free falling experience. And trusting the heart or the belly. Okay, yeah, I have some heart experience, but not that it's a little bit of letting go and it feels new and it feels uncomfortable. So you're describing this emotional state that comes up for you where you're like, ooh, and I was really getting that. Oh, and I was able to put myself in your shoes and go, oh yeah, I could feel how that would feel quote unquote bad when something can feel new and uncomfortable. It can tell our minds this is bad or unsafe. And so we want to pull back from it. And I was at the same time able to clearly see that from what I imagined in you as an empathetic imagining, I had the flip of, oh, and what is it like in me? And it's not always, but largely it's a real comfort with free falling. And in fact, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm letting go of the control and I'm just free falling into what is and seeing, oh, I can free fall in this. And guess what? The universe brings the things that are needed when it's neat, I don't have to control these things. Now it gets scary and uncomfortable, but I start to go, oh, I can fly. I could, if it's fly or is it free fall? I could do some of your, I'm thinking of skydiving now and I've done a little bit of indoor skydiving. Not, I'm not really great at it, but the whole idea is like, what one, you can start to, you're in free fall, but if you get comfortable with the free fall, you know how to keep your balance. Once you learn that you can balance and you could stay steady, you learn, you can turn. Oh, you turn your hands this way, you turn. Oh, with very slight adjustments to this force, you can start to maneuver inside of it in a mode of free fall. So metaphoric, and then if you get really good, you could start doing somersaults and backflips and all these beautiful acrobatics in free fall. So metaphorically, that is, for me, I'm getting a sense of, oh, that's how I am in a free fall with life, moving through it. And yeah, my hands are like, turn left, turn right, or do this or do that. And I can see for your system in this moment, letting go of that trying feels like very scary. I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. And it can feel like jumping out of a plane, right? If it didn't feel that intense, then we'd all be living free and easy and authentically, <laughs> right? Like that we are the fear of letting ourselves be our true selves is really great it's very strong in it yeah it's probably as as actually it's probably a good metaphor right to say jumping out of a plane to free fall and then your question earlier which is a really big question but it's coming back connecting now which is the idea of for the parts what are we free falling into are we free falling into complete give give up, don't care, apathy, no growth, no nothing, which is the fear. And there are parts that that want to have the equally burdened position that is based on not trying, but that is just as burdened as the trying. And those two energies are polarized. They are right, like one, you're trying so that you can overcome the apathetic not trying. Yep. I've got to work yep. real hard so I'm not a lazy bum couch potato. 
And the couch potato is just like, man, I just need a break from that freaking perfectionist. <laughs> and these two are, and so then the question of that's, we're not living in either of those extremes. We are moving into a living flow with both of these, where you are allowing the universe itself to do the heavy lifting. And you're just turning your hands left and right here and there, but you are turning your hands and you are thinking and you are present and you're aware and you're responding and reacting to what's arising in the moment as it arises. Okay, I'll stop there. I'm feeling open, excited about this conversation, having both personal connections being made and having thoughts of wanting to be more explicit for listeners, both about my experience as it relates to what you're talking about so that maybe the listener will say, oh yeah, me too and get their own perspective or who knows what will happen for the listener, but it might be useful. One is that the fear in my system right now is actually quite low, generally speaking. And I know you often name that kind of the percentage of like, how much is this here? And it feels very much like the part that I am blended from before I came into this podcast today, the critical, I'm, I don't want to make a podcast. I'm done trying to make a good podcast. That part which I have spent probably most of my life thinking was me. And what I mean by that is the part that is efforting. What I want to say to the listener in this realm of unblending parts and self, and if you don't know what we're talking about, the second episode of all of our podcasts is about internal family systems and defines a little, clarifies what we're getting on about here. Podcast primer number two. Yeah. That for much of my life, I was so blended with that part that it would have been hearing you and saying all this free fall business, like it would have just judged itself and said, I can't do that. Or, or it would have seen it from its perspective and said, that's not possible or that's too scary or that's overwhelming. It just when we are blended with a part, that's how we're hearing everything is through the way that part is perceiving the world. And when we connect to self, when we begin to have a get to know the place in us that is compassionate and curious, and we begin to see, even though that part isn't yelling and screaming, right? So sometimes it takes a little more intention and practice to get to know it, that's the place that almost can't not live in flow. It's just a matter that these burdened parts, these effortful parts, these scared parts come so close to the camera <laughs> that they take up the entire field of vision. And I can feel, although I don't think I can articulate it now, and it feels important how that relates to what you said a little bit ago about how valuable you did such a lovely job of describing what it was like to be seen in the moment when I saw you and said what I saw, but in this much more universal way of the absolute power of being seen. And it made me think of how it is not physically possible for us to ever with our own eyes to see our own face. And it feels really like these two things are 
connected somehow, but I'm not, I'll leave it there. Yeah. What I'm experiencing in the moment, in the now chat, it's interesting in the podcast, in the week, there's this lovely space of going back and forth and then you'll say something and it'll spark something. And then sometimes you'll say something and it doesn't spark anything. And then I have a small reaction to that. And I'll talk about that. But like the first thing I noticed today was like that I was, as you were talking, especially at the beginning, I was not exactly listening to you. I had a part that was imagining something. I can't quite remember what I was imagining, but I was, there was something I was interested in and my mind was playing out. So you were talking and my mind was playing out something related that was connected to maybe the last thing I said. It was like, maybe I said something and the part one was processing it and you were reflecting. And so the word that my mind put on it really quickly was parallel play. Like you were over there playing with your blocks and my parts were like, oh, I'm going to play with my blocks while Jess is over there playing with her blocks. And I'm not really watching what you're doing with your blocks. I'm paying attention to my blocks, but I felt safe and secure because my friend's over there, she's playing with her blocks. <laughs> and then, but that was happening a little unconsciously. And then I became aware of that. And there was this part that was like, oh, wait, I don't really know what Jess is saying right now. Cause I've been, this part's been thinking about I've been playing with these castles and blocks over here. And then there's a little, oh, like a little like danger or something like I'm losing just, so I've got to, I've got to put this down and I've got to switch to you. And when I do that, and this is something that happens probably a lot in the podcast space, probably happens once or twice a podcast. And which just seems to make sense as I'm saying it. And each time that does happen, however, the way my system reacts and responds to it, which is what I'm describing, put what I'm doing down, it's almost like a trying. There's a real trying that comes in that moment. That's I've got to try to meet just where she is. I've got to try to have a reaction and response to her. And when that mode, that mindset comes on, it starts to feel a little heavy. It starts to feel like work, right? Now I'm working and it happens so subtly that it went from playing to working. And there's a little bit of a energetic kind of heaviness that comes, right? It was just a little bit. It's just a sheen. So I was noticing that. I'm not sure, but what came clear to me was just doing what I just did, which was to speak for what I noticed rather than being in it. And so by making what I was seeing what I was aware of happening explicit and naming that as the thing to talk about, which is what we do here, rather than getting caught in the content itself, that is an unblending process. That is an awakening. That, and now coming back to the content, there was a thread in what you were saying that was getting, ah, that was it. The word awakening, yeah, you talked about it. You were identifying. Do you identify? So now I'm actually correcting myself because I actually was more playing with your blocks, but I was going off with them. That's what it was. You, there was something you brought that I got, got excited about or got into, which was you talked about identity and you were, you said you used to, you had up until recently identified yourself as the one who was trying. That's who I identified with. And as soon as you said that, I went, yes, there was this like, yes, that is, and my parts wanted to put a name on it. And the first thing that came to is awakening, right? Like it's when we, and because it's an, a shift of identity, 
part of awakening is a shifting of identity from a smaller mind state, an egocentric mind state of this is good and this is bad. And, and I've got to do, I've got to try really hard. And then an awakening is when you realize you start to expand your identity and you go, oh, that, that is one aspect of me, but I am, I have, I'm a larger sense of this. And you can extrapolate that sense of awakening out and out to get bigger, right? So that you understand, but in a small way, that's a, an awakening process where the sense of identity shifts to where it's coming from, where it's coming from, it shifts. In the meditations, I'll connect it to that. That was another small example of the little moment of going, when we're looking down, when I was talking to meditation and we're like looking down at our belly versus dropping down, I'm existing from the belly. That is a shift of identity. Am I identifying? I do identify myself as the rational thinking mind, which 99.99% of us do. That's, that is part of the water that we swim in as human fishes. <laughs> and that's part of what we're awakening to is that is just a very small aspect of ourself with a big S. Right? And then so in that little meditation practice, dropping down into belly and getting a little glimpse of, oh, I'm, I, my identity is my body or maybe expansive consciousness that thoughts and ego identity are a very small part of. Okay, I'll pause there. <laughs> you only just threw me like so much <laughs> stuff to work with. <laughs> no big deal. Okay. Okay. It was like, man, three different really good responses. Okay. So I'm feeling joyful and excited. I'm agreeing with everything that you just said. I loved your connecting and description of awakening. As you were talking, I thought about these really big like philosophies and religions and ancient ways of seeing things and how this is what everyone in the mystical realms are going toward the non-dual experience and between internal family systems and the unblending that it teaches and the identifying or getting to know the ground of self with a capital S, the open space of curiosity and compassion between that and practice in relationship of the modes of communication. I feel like these are like experiential, at least ones that work for me, experiential ways of actually moving toward and practicing this. Before you got to the block that I had brought up that you went off to the side to play, right? Before you figured out how you ended up in that, when you were just describing, this is a thing that happens to me once or twice a podcast. My, my part that is the trying part came forward and was like, <laughs> that's not how you make a podcast. We can't just go off. If you go over there and play with your blocks and I go over here and play with my blocks and the listeners over there playing with their blocks, there's no podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's wonderful to like, just give that part sort of the floor, but at the same time, know that I'm speaking for it. And just the, just to celebrate like the joy and the, it's so, it, I can't even quite describe, like, I guess there's so much energy there and it's maybe from a more parent or grandparent energy where it's just, you could do anything. And I would just think it was the most wonderful thing. Yeah. That's how I feel toward this part. 
look at the energy you have around this. There's so much life there and there's so much misperception, not misperception, but there's so much life there. And then there is this feeling in that part that something is wrong. And maybe that's part of where that combination of seeing this part come forward with so much energy and life and yet to be like, there's no problem here. Like I see that I'm not laughing at you. My, my husband, and oftentimes when he says this, I, I can't really connect to it, but right now I am. He frequently will say the jokes on me or the jokes on you. And he's not saying it in a crappy way, but it's just that feeling of, you think there's a problem here. Ha, there's no problem here. <laughs> yeah. So I think there was, there's probably more, but that's what came up to sit on top. A spark from one spark for me in what you shared was when you said, gosh, the, you said that you feel like a grandmotherly loving, like you had a big smile on your face. Everything you do is delightful. Like everything yes. that was really even more, it's not even that you, it's not wrong. Everything that you're doing right now is just delightful. And you're taking delight in this part. Yes. And when you said that, it connected me energetically to myself when I'm with clients, when I'm in my best self, when I'm with myself too, when I'm in meditation, I'm listening to myself. What I'm moving towards is the space of whatever my system, whatever is happening inside me is good is delightful no matter what it is. That's the place I'm moving towards. I might not be able to get to full delight the way you are today. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but I, I could at least get to acceptance. Like, okay, this is how you're feeling right now. I could accept that. But when I'm in my best self, it's everything is good. And when I'm with a client, whatever is showing up in that moment, of course I'm greeting with yes. It's always greeting with yes. What is yes? Let's, let's say yes to this. Yes, it's good. Let's stay with it. That energy felt so enlivening, felt so good. I was witnessing it. I was taking it in at a deeper level as I was watching you. It's a familiar experience. It's kind of an experience I have a lot more and more. Part of what I feel of the gifts of internal family systems, it, it has given me enough framework and tools to be able to have more of a relationship with my internal psyche, my parts, my emotions in that way, that I can see them and I could see them as good and I can have more feeling of delight. And I experienced in this in my relationship with my partner, Wendy, quite a bit where you will be able to speak for these experiences in our psyche and we speak for them from a kind of motherly or fatherly kind of love where we really can't see them as doing anything wrong and we could also see their problems and their concerns from their perspective and feel caring and want to help and support them through that but we still hold the space of we know there's really nothing wrong we know there's really nothing there really is no problem to solve here there's only the problem in the mind and of the part itself but that's very real to our psyche and so it's this beautiful dance of being respectful to the experience of the one who is having the experience from the ground of being. But we also are holding the jokes on you in that loving way that this 
doesn't have all the fearful implications from the parts perspective that it quite does, which having that perspective is what enables us to be supportive and helpful to that. It's not a, in a burden form, it's a dismissal, right? When I don't want to deal with your emotions, Jess, let's just say, or you, the other, you're bringing some emotion, some mindset that is impinging on my sense of bringing up feelings in me and it's bringing, and then it could be a part that will want to dismiss what you're feeling. Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of just, oh, your part that, so what would that look like? Your part that has a problem with me, uh, the part that was annoyed at me for not doing the homework, I could have a part that would dismiss that part by saying, oh, it's concerns are meaningless, right? Like on this non-dual perspective, yes. that's, that, but that's a way, that's not non-dual at all. That's a way of, of dismissing that and it's defensive. And yes. that's something to be aware of. Anyway, I'll stop there. Is that the clarification? What, and that, of course, I don't know what other people mean by this, but when I hear the term, I haven't heard it much lately, spiritual bypassing. Yes. That's a version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a way to not actually have the feelings or the the complications of relationship or using yeah. the framework of spirituality, which can mean a lot of things, but one of those could be non-dual reality, right? Using any mental framing, it's a part that's going to use a concept in order to disengage from the raw experience of life, which is never the path. Not never. Actually, that's a, anytime we say always and never, Keep an eye because <laughs> <laughs> I just heard myself say it and I immediately went, well, actually, no, that's not true. There are times where that can be helpful to give oneself a break. Like We do need to have spaces where we can just give ourselves a break by whatever framing. We could use a frame to go, okay, I can just give myself a break. It may not be the best idea in the long term to use any framework to in the long term to avoid the raw material of experience in life. In the big picture, in the North Star, right now in this moment, I believe that moving towards the raw experience of life as much as possible is a way, the way, part of the way. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Even as I know I have parts that in moments of overwhelm completely forget that piece or don't, can't believe it or can't move toward it, can't relax into it. It's interesting. I'm having one of those moments that you frequently name where first I'm feeling contented. I'm feeling joyful and a relaxed, more relaxed. And I'm feeling a little bit more of that kind of tiredness you'll sometimes name where what, as I look around inside of myself, I know there were all kinds of ideas that sparked things in me, but as I look around, it's like the room feels pleasantly empty. So if there's anything in your system that wants to come forward, I feel really open to that. In that little pause moment, yeah, something popped right into my consciousness, which was the choice. And mm -hmm. I, I think we branched off from the moment when you sat, you looked at, you said, there's, oh, there's like four or five options here. And then you looked at it and then you felt like, how do I make this choice? And you were noticing you were going from your head, the part and the, that place of identity is the part that's trying. And then we had many wonderful conversations <laughs> branched off of this choice, which really adds a really nice way, like 
when they're as a model, right? Like you had a part that was like, how do I make this choice? And was a little stuck, not super stuck, but you spoke for it. And then we started to engage with it. And all of a sudden things started to happen we, and choices were made. And all of a sudden it's like there was flow. We flowed right into it, we weren't stuck. And now that little thing is coming back. Oh yeah, let's return to that moment. Because what was exciting for me was here's the experience of, I have a choice. And my brain is discerning and I don't know if this is true or not, but it, it feels already, there is a difference in my internal idea when I have a sense of, do I have a choice between two options or many options? And that feels something different. Like those feel like two kind of different categories. So like in this case, you had four or five, there was just a lot of options. And those options weren't necessarily binary. Some choices are do I stay or do I go? It's pretty binary. And I, by the way, we can do, I would, I think we could do a whole series of podcasts on do I stay or do I go? <laughs> because it's probably one of the most, to me, probably one of the most profound spiritual, it's a very spiritual question. Uh, I get very excited about do I stay or do I go? How do we decide that? How does that, it's a very, I think it's a really rich, very rich place which makes sense as to why that becomes the kind of core like polarity of a two-way choice, right? Like you can only stay or only go, but we can say, well, you can stay, but be gone. <laughs> you kind of leave and want to stay. There's, there's some gray areas in there. So that was the first thing that came up, like the awareness of having multiple options and something me wanting to just explore the nature of what does it mean to have a choice? What do we do when we come into that space? I will tell you my working thesis that I've been living for, I don't, I'm not sure how long, because it was a kind of process of, I was living it before I noticed exactly that I was living it. And then I realized I was living it and became conscious of it. I noticed it, that I had been living it and became conscious of it and then was able to become, put words on it and then become more conscious of it and more refined in it and then teach it to myself and then to also to others and exemplify it. So I'm sitting, I've got these five choices. Now, the only time I'm going to know this choice situation is when there's an issue, right? Like for me, meaning if I'm in flow, I'm going to choose one right? Where I'm like, oh, here's a foot. Boom. I got one. Like right now, for example, you said, I don't know, where do you want to go, Frank? And boom, there was one clear thing came up. There was, it was very clear. Oh, that's a spark of life. Everybody was like, let's talk about what I just brought up, the choice moment. That was a clear choice. There was no, <laughs> I'm not thinking about it because there was no, oh, there was this choice. And then there was, oh, there was this other one. And the process between sorting through the two, if it's quick, then there's no, right? It's not getting gunked up. There's nothing maybe even to notice. I mean, there is, but it's easier to just kind of go into the flow. You're going into the action with the universe engagement. So let's say I have this place. Now I'm in a place where I don't, here's a quote. I don't know what to choose. Okay. That's a part, right? So that's the one thing. Okay. There's a part that's looking at this. That's like, how do I evaluate it? How do I choose it? And what my working thesis has been is once I hit that place where I don't know what to choose, I my goal is to completely step out of choosing. 
I'm not going to choose right now. What I'm going to do, I'm getting out of the mindset of the chooser, right? So now I'm in the mindset of the chooser. Do I go left? I got five options. I'm in the mindset of the one who chooses. I'm going to step out of that mindset. And now, as soon as that one is stuck, I'm stepping out of that mindset. And now I'm in the mindset of the listener. All my job is now, and you can, this is more of a quote unquote self, a higher consciousness. I'm going to look at, I want to know who the players are, who's here, who are, who wants to go left? Who wants to go? Why do they want to go left? Why do they want to go? Okay. What's driving underneath these things? I want to understand at a deep, I'm going to listen. So there's, because there's a conflict, there's a reason why they're not, if there wasn't, they would have made the choice, but there is something often arise. So I'm going to start to listen to all the players who, what are they feeling? And my goal is to just listen. And if I, and now the thesis is if I keep listening and listen deeply enough, it's like at some point the pieces click in and the chooser, I don't ever have to become the chooser. I listen, I listen, I listen. And all of a sudden something goes click and it's go to the left. And that feels right and true in my body. It may not be like, uh, the sky came, God came down and said, go left. It's not, doesn't have to be this uh, dramatic moment. It just feels, oh, okay. It's 52% go left, 48 go left. But I can feel that 52 is my truth in this moment. That is, that is the path for me. That there's just a little moment that says, okay, I know what that is. It still doesn't feel great. There's a lot of stuff on the table either way. If I go left, I'm going to feel sad about going. I'm going to have fear about going. Like all those things aren't necessarily changing. I just know what the path is. And then I can move forward from there. So the kind of working thesis is, well, in some ways, I don't really have to make choices. I just have to listen. I'm just listening. I'm not identifying as the one who's making these decisions. I'm identifying, and this is coming back to that question of identity. I'm the identifying as the listener. I'm listening to what's happening inside myself. And when I do that sufficiently with enough space and enough dedication, choices happen naturally from an intuitive, heart-centered place. There's a life flow that happens. My job is to keep that life flow going, right? To keep it awake, keep it aware, keep it inter interconnected with other people. It's not just about my, but what's happening in my relationships, all of that kind of coming together. Okay. End scene. <laughs> <laughs> or rant or a soliloquy or lecture or I don't know what word you want to put on it. Yeah. So to, I feel good. I feel open to this conversation. I feel happy to hear your enthusiasm and all the thought you've put into this. That feels really good. And I have a part that wants to sum up because you said a lot and it, it felt valuable and it's like, how do I take something with me from this? And so it feels good both for myself and potentially for the listener. And you can let me know if I'm on track here or not. That identifying in a moment of gunkiness, in a moment of I need to make a choice, like an effortful, what do I do feeling? I don't know what to do. I don't know what choice to make. When that energy comes in, the best path is to 
identify with the part of us that listens, which is a whole other conversation, really, of how do we begin to cultivate the listener, right? Who is that part of us? How do we move toward it? To, to move into listener mode and from listener mode, it might take three minutes, it might take three weeks. Who knows how long we need to be in listener mode. But the choice will make itself in a way. I don't know if that's quite the right way to say it, but it, the choice will just happen. It's much less effort, much more of a, when we go into listening mode, the return of flow happens naturally. Okay, you're nodding. Got it? Yeah, very good. What's coming up for me right now, and I'll, I don't feel a strong need to talk on, 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 on about this, but how I feel that I got really clear in a conscious way, like I created a file that I could access more consciously. My listener, when you and I read the, the book about Mary Magdalene by Cynthia Burgol, and we talked about it and we did a little YouTube series on it, that I really got the archetypal energy of the power of the listener and the healing that happens when there's a part of us that just sits in presence in being with what is, that the listener even is not, there's not a lot, there's, the only doing is to sit in presence and to be with what is from the space of the heart. That's listening as far as I see it. I'd be curious how you define listener or listening. Yeah, as we're talking about it, and you were saying like you're in the doing and you shift into the listener. And as I talk about it, that energy of the listener, like I really get is even bigger than, yeah, you described it really well, but it, I was getting more of the picture of that energy is, it's such a fundamental, I mean, of beginner mind, right? Like we talk about some of the most basic open living experience is one of reception and listening, listening in, in the sense of I'm deeply receiving life as it is. And so listening, part of listening is to subtly begin. I'm listening, I'm listening to you, Jess, but what screens are, am I projecting onto you? How am I, how is my mind filtering what you're saying? And part of the art of listening is to subtly be like noticing those screens, being able to move them back a little bit and to hear more clearly, more deeply, almost getting more and more of the raw data, allowing it to come in. So there's a deep, powerful process of listening. Right? There's a deepening of the experience of listening, of what it means to listen that continues to deepen. That's like an infinite practice of how deeply we can listen, really receive purely the other. Because I, I could listen to you, but if I'm hearing it all through a frame of mind that say it's a very, let's say I'm in this in a very doing oriented frame of mind. So I'm listening to you, but all I'm listening for is how's that going to help you do something? And I may flip and that my response is, and I'm listening to you. I listened to everything you said. I listened to it. I listened to it. I might even be able to repeat it back to you. But from what frame of mind did I hear it in? If I, if I heard it all in the frame of mind of 
let's say, doing or what you're doing wrong. We can make up a million frames through which I heard that listening. And then I respond back to you in that way. That's all you're going to get back from me. It's not that I'm saying that's not listening. I'm saying there is an expansion of depth to the practice of listening and to be practicing removing all screens, right? Like any screen, any cognitive framework that I'm putting on top of this, right? It's going to diffuse what I'm receiving from the universe. So I'm pulling those to really hear at a deeper level what's coming to me. So that's one thing that came up. I was also aware in the we space. So let's see, I noticed two things. After I spoke the last time, whatever I said, there was a part that was like, I feel really, I feel good. I like, oh, I feel really good. Something's coming out of me. There feels like a release of, there's a sense of, I have valuable things to share. And that's a big deal for me to say that because there's a part of me that has shame about that or that maybe judges that as egotistical or something. And so that's part of my personal conundrum coming into the podcast space. Something I want to grow into is that I have valuable things to share and then to give myself the freedom to share them. Much like you have that same, you're working on the same thing here, which is an important part because I'm feeling a sense of freedom today in that, ooh, wow, I'm letting my teacher part. I'm letting him speak and I'm letting him talk about how he sees the world and I'm letting him I'm letting him have the assumption that what he sees has value, that it's that it has value for the listener and has value for you and has value for me. I'm not going to question that. I'm going to go with that. Let's just assume, Frank, that you what you're saying has some value to it. Don't know if it does, but let's just assume. you have to make that assumption. You you can't tell. You don't know. You can never really know for certain. You can get some feedback, but you can't really know. So you just gonna go with it. Let's just go. Let's go with it. And I'm allowing my system to go with it. And it's, that feels pretty good. Like I'm just putting myself and it's not going to, whatever I'm saying, it's not going to be perfect or perfectly right or perfectly true. Is it, it's just my experience and I'm just naming it and just talking about it. And that feels good. So, okay, that feels good. And then there's a little bit of mm, self-consciousness or, oh, what is that? Where does that put Jess in this moment? Because I noticed your responses were, a little bit more focused on me, a little bit more, okay, what are you saying, Frank? Oh, Frank, you're giving me lots of things to process. You said something like, oh, you gave me like five things. I've got to hold them. And that felt really good and fun. Like I felt like we were stepping into the dynamic of teacher student a little bit. And you were like the student who was like taking notes or reflecting back. Let me help the teacher highlight his points or refine them or let me process them. And Okay, so what you're saying is this, right? So there was a little bit of that. Okay, we're stepping into that, a little bit of that energy. You're nodding. And then there was a little part that was like, wait a minute, just wants to do this. Like, just wants to, that's part of the thread of our conversation has you. The last few podcasts. One of the last, few, yeah, several of the last podcasts has been a kind of burgeoning. Hey, I, I don't want to always be in that role with you, Frank. I want to allow myself to step into that too. And of course, I want that for you too. And we're both holding that growth edge here. And there was just an awareness of that. I just want to name that. I want to check in with that around you. Are you feeling that too? Or how does that feel for you? And 
but yeah, I just, yeah, that, so I'll pause there. Yeah, I feel, I've said this probably six times, happy and excited, still feeling happy and excited. It feels good. It feels good to be invited into the space of awareness around this particular perspective that we've been exploring the last few times. Like, oh, let's check in with this. This is something we're cultivating in this space. Where is this in the space? Especially as parts of you are like, I have something to say and I'm going to assume it has value. I really was feeling more student-y in the sense that this is something you have more practice at and that you've looked at and you've shared with people. And so that makes sense that I would be in a sort of a student role. And I was really, I felt like I was learning some things and felt excited for the for the listener that they might be learning some things. And I did not feel that I was hiding or putting the spotlight back on you as a way of not putting it on me. It felt in flow. It felt natural. And as you were saying, this is what I'm seeing. I'm in the teacher role. You're in the student role. I didn't feel any shame. I felt, oh, that's true. And it has felt really good. And a part of me very quickly reflected, there are things I know about where Frank can be the student and I felt more comfortable, at least in this moment, theoretically. So all of that felt really good. The other thing that was happening that felt really good was a part that was, it was a more mental part, but I felt really connected to it. It was backing up, it was getting more perspective and it was seeing See if I can connect back to it. Earlier, you spoke, and I can't remember what the content was. Maybe you can help me because that will be orienting about your process of becoming more conscious around something. You're like, I've been practicing this. And then you paused and you said, I don't know how, for how long, because it started and then I became more conscious and then I became do you remember? Yes. What was the content? The content, what I was referring to was the actual process of l- living free of choice almost, like living in the identity of the one who's not choosing. Yes, that so, was it. Right, yes. Okay. The process of learning you described where you were trying to tell us how long have I been doing this? And you couldn't really because you were doing it before you knew you were doing it, right? You were doing it before you had words for doing it. And- What suddenly clicked in that felt really exciting is something I've been thinking about lately is that there's a feeling to me that the first few, the first number of podcasts, and I don't know when, right? I'm going to go back to this idea of, I don't know when the changes happened. There's this natural growth that I feel like over time, we are moving toward a learning, an understanding, we're moving towards something, maybe finding our voice, both of us in our different ways, that, what do I want to say about that? It feels like it mirrors what you just described, but we're not necessarily, I don't necessarily have words for it quite yet. And what that reminded us, so I'm just going to lay one more layer over it. Maybe this is one too many layers. I've been taking this art course and it's called find your joy. And it's about how we can get in flow before we let our minds, our critical minds and our thoughts about 
quote unquote, making good art get in the way of our flow? How do we prioritize flow and creativity over good art and bad art? Mm. And then learning more of the, how do you make good art and bring flow into it, bring joy into it. And as I've finished up this course, she's now going to do a follow-up course called Find Your Voice, which is more about cultivating with more intention, a creative, like a, and this is something I'm pretty familiar with and probably won't take the course, not that I wouldn't learn something, but something I'm familiar with, which is creating a body of work, like exploring a single idea or a process and creating a bunch of art around that one idea. And this is what Find Your Voice is about in the art world. In this, as this, as this woman, Louise Fletcher, who's wonderful, is teaching. And I just thought this is you and I, right? We wouldn't be able to make this podcast if we weren't following our joy. We just wouldn't do it. Yeah, you're nodding and agreeing. Yes. And and now I feel like, for me at least, it's like entering into some sort of new territory, I feel like, of being more intentional, cultivating something more specific, more, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. So I'll stop there. <laughs> I see you nodding. Yeah. Yeah, I, that felt really exciting. One, I want, it's great to, it's so great to identify these like archetypal fundamental experiences. And I feel like having a want is a, it's a unique experience it's not it's very different from a reflection the want was you were describing this art class and the kind of lessons the spiritual and energetic lessons that she is teaching through the medium of art specifically around finding your flow fun what was the first one? The second one's about voice. The first one is about joy. Find your joy. Yeah. And so I was connecting it to rap. And there was something in me about the joy that was like, yeah, I get that. Meaning there's the part about finding the joy and the flow, like I get, we get. And the evidence of that is here to make it clear to the listener, to make it explicit. Jess and I both from the beginning had this, we want to do what feels good. We want to do where the joy is. And I was, and anytime there was something that didn't feel so joyful, we'd go, okay, let's take a breath. We're not going to, let's not move in that direction. Let's move in the direction of what feels joyful, what feels really good. Talking, if we discussed do we want to do an episode on content or do how do we want to approach the podcast? Whenever we are having those conversations, one of the first ways that I evaluated that question was, does it bring us joy or not? And you also were on that page. When I brought that forward, it wasn't like you fought me with that. You were like, yeah, that's what I want too. So we were from Jump Street, phrase I like, from Jump Street, really guiding towards that space of what brings joy and where does that move towards and does that direction bring us joy so that that felt like it was really highlighting that aspect of what we do and you spoke to that which feels really good the want came when you talked about voice and the body of work and I started to get oh this sounds really interesting but I'm not interested in art like I don't I wouldn't take her course because the medium through which 
we'd be, she'd be teaching about voice and about creating all that would be a medium that I'm not that it doesn't bring me that much pleasure. It just doesn't bring that spark of life for me as much. But I would love to, I could see it so clearly, I would be able, if I could, get those lessons in through rap, if I could. And so there was a want, there was like, I see something of value. I don't have the the understanding of, I don't know what she has to teach and what you have to learn in that, but there's something there. And so there was this want of, I want to take, I want to experience that, but in relationship to rap. And so the want was, huh, how do I get that? Like, and it was really clear, Jess is going to take that course and Jess is really smart and really good at distilling what you're doing. So the want is Jess, I want, and this is just a flash. It was like, oh, I want Jess to take that course. And then distill for me and maybe the, maybe our listeners, what the process of finding that voice, like we can talk about the process of finding the joy because we, we practice that, right? It's like, wait, if it doesn't bring us joy. Then maybe we don't let's take a second question about it. Cause everything we do here is be, we want it to always be in flow. We're not doing this. We're not trying to save the world. <laughs> we're not trying to prove something. We're not trying to do make money we're not trying any of those things that some parts might have ambitions towards what i really want is to move my system into a place of joy joyful experience in the now and exploration that's joyful to me okay i'll pause all there wow and i, I know we always at some point warn the listeners who already know this because they can look at their timestamp. but warning us that you have to wrap this up because i'm saying that partly because i'm like this is so exciting and excited part I wasn't planning on taking find your voice. It's not a, it's not a cheap class, but as you're saying it, I know I would get stuff out of it. I know I would learn things. And then I got really excited about the idea of maybe if we took 10 or 15 minutes as I was doing this each week that you and I meet, that I could say, this was this week's lesson. And maybe that could be our jumping off point of this is we're going to talk about, she's already sent out these wonderful videos of if you take this course, you have a choice to ask for feedback or not. And this is what it even means to ask for feedback. It doesn't mean, is this a good piece of art? It's, this is what I'm going for, but I feel like I'm not getting there. Can I get some feedback on how to, and she herself, Louise Fletcher said, I never ask for feedback. I don't want it. I don't want it from other people. I find it, it totally throws me off my track that I will, without feedback, find my way where I'm going. But other people do like to ask for feedback and giving some guidelines around what it is and what it isn't. And even just that, if I came in with a little distilled description of that could be a really interesting discussion here in this space of when you're creating a body of work, what does it mean to ask for feedback? What does it mean to receive feedback? And my mind starts getting excited about the idea of all these things that have shifted for me since we had our podcast launch, some of which is the more critical parts have come forward, which it's anyway, I'm just off on uh, going in a whole other direction. It's like, oh, wow. That's really fascinating that, that whatever she has to teach around art specifically could apply to the cultivating, the further cultivating of a practice of a honing a skill, creating a body of work. And feeling wise, I'm doing this in the reverse because I was so excited about the content I feel really warm, really good 
as you spoke to Jess can take the course and Jess will get, and Jess is so good at describing and bringing, and she'll bring it for us. And then we can, we can apply it to different places in our life. And that just felt really good. And so then I was like, oh, am I going to take this course? I have to decide by Friday. I don't know. And I wanted to, and I do, I guess I have a part that wants to qualify that want. Cause there's, there's, so in the process of, but in the process of identifying a want, it feels really important to like, be able to just hold that there is a want, there is a part that has a want, but then there's also, so I can, and we can as humans, because having a want has so many complications to it and we'll go into it right now. There's a lot of complication that other parts can step in and just go, no, let's just squash that. And you might not even that process of one part having a want and it, because it brings up potential consequences or complications that don't feel clear, another part coming in and saying, no, no, no. And that happening so fast that we can lose connection to our sense of want and desire. Totally and joy and all of that, because that, mm -hmm. so to highlight, to really, I can almost energetically feel myself putting a little bubble around the want, but that want, that does not make that want pure and it doesn't make it uncomplicated. So complications, that's one part that wants that. Other parts, as you were describing that, there were other parts that are like, I don't know if I want to every go, <laughs> that might be like a lot. I don't know, like that could feel managerial. Like there are other parts like, ah, and then, oh, I don't want just to feel like, like you weren't that interested in it. Now you're going to take it and maybe you'll feel like you're taking it from me. But what if I'm not as interested as I was in that moment? And then you're like, freaking Frank, I just took this. <laughs> now he doesn't want, he doesn't care anymore. I want half the money from him. There's other parts. Just, uh, hold on. <laughs> uh -huh. And that's important too. We wouldn't be able to isolate. Yeah, here is that. And there's a want here, but I could also name it as just that's just one aspect of this wider open field. Just really, it's kind of neat to look at all this. For sure. Yeah. And even as I was responding to your want, sort of my initial parts that came forward, I was like, this is maybe a percentage, a factor that, you know, but it didn't feel like a driving force of this is going to be the place from which I'm going to decide to take the course or not take the course. Right. Yeah. And also to be clear, this is interesting too, that the excitement that you felt from me when I was talking about that want was more about the concept of wants and speaking for and being able to be like, oh, I just saw this want. And like, that's such a the discerning process of what a want is, what a desire is, and that I recognized it and was like, oh, we could talk about that on the podcast. And like this sense of, it's almost like for me being here, it's almost like being in a lab almost. Like I, it feels like I could take the sample and put it under the microscope. In the lab, it's a bacteria or DNA or whatever it is. Right? You really could look at it and you have this environment where everything else gets put away and you just get really fine-tuned on that thing. For me, this is a lab, but the material of the lab is not bacteria or DNA. It's desire, it's trauma, it's feeling, it's emotion, it's awakening, right? What is it? What is what does it mean really if you really drill down to have a desire and to have a want? What is a choice really? What is that like? 
what happens in the process of it. Let's get like really slow and microscopic about what's happening when we go to make a choice. What does that mean? Or when we have a desire, what does that mean? And what happens around it? So here's the spark of desire. Oh, and there's also these things around it. And we can look really closely at the desire, then we'll bring the camera out and look at all these other aspects of atoms and particles around it. But then if you look at, this is neat, but then if you look at each one of them, they're on their little microcosmic, microcosmic universe, because even in the parts that are going, I don't want to, that are, right? So there's the desire for that. And then there were these other parts, but ah, I don't know, all that. If you start to put the microscope on those voices too, you will see similar patterns. And inside that is also a desire. There's also a spark of desire inside of that. That's a little bit different than not in nature, but different in content from the other first parts desire. And that's something also that we can leads to what we call conflict and in choice moments. I have desire here and I also have desire here, or I have a desire to be away from something here. And then, oh, how do I choose between these? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really feeling the relationship between what is happening below the level of content and our ability to go, here's the content, but here's what's, here's the, the connective tissue that holds the content together. And if we, if we look at that, what do we learn? Go to the source, really fascinating stuff. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to hop off because we have to go. <laughs> yes. But I want to say, flipping back to the moment about the teacher student thing, and you were saying you felt comfortable because you know that we can switch those roles that you, and there was just such, that was so fascinating to me because as that was happening and as I was becoming aware of it in the moment, that was also an awareness that was regulating to my system was that like, oh, we can switch the, we do switch these roles. We can switch these roles. So I'm having the experience that I'm often in the mode of, oh, let me just listen to Jess and let me just ask questions about what Jess is bringing forward. And I know that ground within myself. Oh, Jess is in student mode. I go into student mode with Jess too. So it was like mutuality, pureness. And I, so I, we talk about the upside down. I think we mentioned that last time, right? Like what's the upside mm -hmm. down version of this? And I could picture the upside down version of this where, okay, I am the teacher. I am the I'm the one who's in the authority position and I'm used to that. And so I come here with this, oh, I'm going to go do this podcast. You want to do it with me? But I'm thinking I'm going to be the star of the podcast because I'm the teacher. So it's going to be about me. Oh, and then Jen starts, just starts bringing this different energy and oh, wait, I'm not used to that identity. Again, a question of identity. I don't want to switch identities. I like my teacher identity. I don't want to be in a student identity that ah, a free fall. Ah. Yes. So in the other version, that could be a quote unquote fight that could be happening unconsciously between us. We might not be comfortable enough to speak to these dynamics and, and that could be a whole thing. And here in, in the non upside down, in this version, that just is all part of the material of what's happening. We're just speaking for it. And it's all because we're putting awareness on it, coming back to the meditation. Like I was saying, we just put awareness on the breath and the breath finds its own regular space. Same thing. We just put awareness on the dynamics. We're just putting awareness on the dynamics. And when we do that, the dynamics find their own harmony. They find that they start to soften into their own natural rhythm. I don't have to try to fix the dynamics. Just bring awareness to the dynamics. Oh, here are these dynamics. Oh, 
Here are these feelings in the moment. Here it is in the moment. We bring awareness to it. Be with it as it is. The listener, that listening part again. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So there you go. Speaking of the listener and listening and the listener, I just want to connect to you here again. We've been with you, but connecting to you in a very conscious and explicit way. And just connecting to our breath together. And thanking you for your time and attention. And I also want to send some real loving energy towards you and wishing you well in your life in whatever your path is. And I'll close there and Jess, anything you want to, yeah. Your final. I know that, that feels good. That feels really good. It's been great. It's been great. Okay. See you all next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.